Today's passage is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. The NRSV reads, They, the disciples in Jesus, came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees, walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Upon first receiving this passage to preach, I was completely unsure what the content would be of the sermon. I was baffled and slightly annoyed. What am I to do with this miracle story, a healing that doesn't initially take? But church, if you take nothing else away from the message today, may it be this. If we allow ourselves to sit with God and the scripture, we can see there is so much more to be discovered. And so we are invited in to learn the character of God who is faithful to reveal God's self. The Pentecostal in me was tempted to fall back into what I know, to preach the reality of miracles and the power of Jesus that is available even today. But as I prepared for this sermon, a different message took root. Even though this particular passage is likely a literal story of Jesus' miracle healing power, we will be looking at the allegory that is also contained within. First, you should know the book of Mark can be divided into two halves with each half answering a question. The first half, chapters 1 through most of 8, is answering the question of who is Jesus, and the second half, the rest of chapter 8 through the end, answers why is Jesus here? What is his purpose? Our passage today is often considered the connector between these two questions, between his identity and his purpose. For it is right after Jesus heals this blind man Peter mostly understands Jesus actually is the Messiah, the one long ago foretold. To understand the allegory within our passage, I am going to do two things. First, I'll recap the context, and secondly, spend a little time looking at two of the passages right before the healing of the blind man. So first, let's recap what leads up to this passage. Previously, we heard Dennis share the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. This is the second time Jesus has miraculously multiplied food so that all can eat. And before that, there had been miracle after miracle. Jesus providing exorcisms, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus walking on top of water, and Jesus healing the deafness of a man. Clearly, this man Jesus is a man of power. Through all of this, by his side, has been his disciples, witnesses to each miracle and sign of power. This is a backdrop for the next few passages, and for the ultimate point of today's sermon. Now for the second task of expanding the scope of today's passage. Remember, this section of Mark is trying to answer who Jesus is. So we'll move back to the beginning of chapter 8. Jesus has fed the 4,000 and now the Pharisees are demanding a sign from Jesus. Not just any sign, but a specific action to prove he is the Messiah. 
The original Greek translates to literally asking for proof of power, which would be accepted in one of two ways. One, an apocalyptic event, so something that happens in the skies and heavens that would signal the apocalypse, or two, for God to do what I call the movie trailer voice and say, yep, Jesus is divine, a loud booming voice that cuts through and tells everyone Jesus is God. The miracles and wonders weren't enough to convince the Pharisees, and so they demand this sign that he does something to prove himself in the sky and heavens or for God to announce him. Jesus refuses to give in to their demands and travels with the disciples to where our story takes place. But while sailing to Bethsaida, the disciples struggle to understand a warning from Jesus. See, after Jesus' multiple encounters with the Pharisees and with his knowledge of the heart of Herod, Jesus warns the disciples to beware of the leaven and the bread of the Pharisees and Herod. You see, leaven was an ingredient in bread, but it was also an ancient Jewish symbol for all sorts of evil, false teaching, hypocrisy, pride, lust for power, and religious exclusivity. But Jesus' disciples can be a bit dull or unaware, as we all can. And so, Rather than heeding his message as a warning, they begin to fret and argue about how they only have one loaf of bread to share between them on this boat journey. Mark tells us in verse 15 of chapter 8, And Jesus cautioned the disciples, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no additional bread. I can only imagine Jesus rolling of his eyes when he hears what his disciples are so concerned about, how they don't have enough food for their journey. He must be wondering if his disciples secretly have the memory of a hamster. Haven't they seen him feed thousands of people, not just once, but twice? Here is Jesus trying to warn them that the heart of the Pharisees and the heart of Herod produce some form of evil. It could be hypocrisy, pride, or a lust for power, or to be exclusive. Yet this message goes right over their heads, and instead, they find themselves worrying about being low on food supplies. Mark goes on to tell us that Jesus rebukes them in verse 17, saying, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? These men have been alongside Jesus, and yet still struggle to grasp two things. Firstly, that a magical genie wizard is in their midst, someone that can conjure food, heal their ailments, and provide cool experiences, like defying the laws of physics. And anyone who has seen Aladdin knows how awesome that can be. But secondly, and more importantly, that Jesus is the Messiah that has been prophesied, the Christ who will come to rescue all humankind, the Savior they have been waiting for to deliver Israel. Here is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy found in chapter 35, verses 4 through 6, which reads, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus finishes his rebuke with what I call a paint-by-number approach. You know, those really easy uh, paint sets that help you make this beautiful masterpiece by telling you exactly what to do where. Jesus does this in which he literally reminds the disciples step by step of his feeding miracles, trying so fervently to get their neurons and synapses to have a revelation of the identity of Jesus. He walks them through his miracles step by step. It is right after this lecture that Jesus encounters the blind man and takes two attempts to provide a full healing. So you are probably wondering, what does any of this have to do with the allegory of the healing? Well, let's revisit our main passage for today. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So if this story contains a message beyond healing, what is it? The allegory of the blind man is this. In the same way it took Jesus more than once to provide full eyesight to this man, it will take the disciples more than once to be able to see clearly who Jesus is. They will have somewhat of an idea, then more of an idea, and then a light bulb moment where they can see exactly the identity and purpose of Jesus. But for them, the full realization won't come until after his resurrection. Reflecting on this thought, I wondered why is it so hard for them to see who Jesus is? What are the disciples missing and why can't the Pharisees understand? Since we are able to look back at history, it's much easier for us to name the role and mission of Jesus. But in his time, as the events were unfolding, Jesus being the Messiah was not as clear. In the first century AD, when Jesus lived, the Jewish understanding about the Messiah varied greatly. There was not one set belief on what the coming Messiah would look like, what exact actions they would perform, and how the Jewish people would know their Savior was here. Now, the majority believed the Messiah would do three tasks. One, save the Israelites from their overlords. Two, rescue them from exile. And three, rebuild the physical temple. But how those events would actually play out and who would be the embodied Messiah was a guessing game. It's like us trying to predict what the apocalypse or Antichrist may look like. We think we may know, but we can't be sure until it happens. Theologian N.T. Wright tells us that some imagine the Messiah to be a military leader, aligned with politics and power to rescue Israel from their political enemies, thus completing the first task. Others thought to look for a king instead, someone royal and priestly to rebuild the temple, to complete the second task, while others sought someone endued with supernatural capabilities for the third task. So when a local man, the son of a carpenter, begins his journey as a prophet, as a healer, 
and a teacher, many don't immediately recognize him as the Messiah, as it was not uncommon for people to already function in these roles. God has often sent prophets throughout Israel's history that were not the Messiah. Just look at the majority of the Old Testament. And the local teachers would be the rabbis and priests. When it comes to healers, many believe they had the capabilities to provide healings. Do you remember Vespasian? This is the emperor Dennis talked about in our first sermon on Mark. Vespasian used propaganda to try and convince others he was the Messiah and son of God. There's even a story of him healing a blind man, using spit in his hands, much like Jesus. But the point of Mark's gospel is for the reader to know the Messiah is Jesus and no one else. Again, Mark uses these stories of Jesus' ministry to help us see his true identity and purpose. We see Jesus trying to get the disciples to understand this through both his rebuke of them and the miracle immediately following of this blind man. In both sections, he is pointing back to the Old Testament. Let's look at that rebuke again in verse 17 of chapter 8 of Mark. Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? We see Jesus' questions here as a parallel to two different passages in the Old Testament and to even a few chapters earlier in Mark 4. The language is calling on some of the prophetic literature in the Old Testament that maybe some of Jesus' disciples would recognize. But we'll just look at one of these parallels. Jesus' critique is very reminiscent of Moses speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 3 through 4. Moses has been with the community in exile. They've witnessed many signs of God's power and presence, from the ten plagues to convince Pharaoh to let them leave, to the miraculous food and water they have received throughout their journey, amongst other signs and wonders. Yet, after all of this, Moses says to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. Sound familiar? History is repeating itself. Moses to the exiled Israelites about God's provision, and Jesus to the disciples that he is the embodied provision, the one to come to save, rescue, and restore not just the Israelites, but the whole world. Jesus is using the same language referencing one's ability to hear, to see, to understand, not just what has happened, but what it also means. I can't help but wonder if the prophet and teacher in Jesus is referencing the Old Testament as a method to get the proverbial light bulb to turn on in the followers' minds. Despite the disciples not yet understanding who Jesus is before he heals the blind man, we can give them credit for still following in their ignorance. Which brings us back to our passage. In healing the blind man, Jesus is now using a third way to help the disciples realize he is the Messiah. First, he has used logic, reminding them of the miracles and feedings, making them do the literal math about the loaves, that paint-by-number approach. Second, he has used rebuke in quoting recognizable passages of the Old Testament, hoping they will see the prophecy, 
And thirdly, now he performs a miracle in two attempts. The man first partially having sight, and then his sight being fully restored. Jesus, yet again, pointing to his identity as the Messiah, and at the same time, maybe sending a message to the disciples about their own spiritual blindness. The multiple attempts it takes to heal this blind man can be a callback to the disciples' lack of spiritual insight. They see something, but the image is not perfectly clear to them. They think he might be the Messiah, but they aren't positive. They're starting to put the pieces together, but they don't see the full picture yet. Sort of like the blind man, seeing people, but thinks they look like trees walking around. And like this blind man's sight, it's gradually being restored. It will take moments of gradual insight for them to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, much akin to many people's spiritual journeys, moments of insight and clarity with long periods of trust, doubt, questions, and faith, and everything in between. You see, Jesus is not what anyone had expected. The disciples struggle to understand he is the Messiah. The Pharisees and other religious groups are so focused on their interpretation of the Messiah, they have difficulty seeing the one in their midst and instead test him to get their answers. Jesus is challenging them to let go of their tradition, let go of holding on to what they imagined and embrace the ways he is present, the person they see before them. But the struggle to part with the beliefs they have imposed on the scripture and their focus on theological correctness is difficult. Our challenge is to see where we fit in this allegory. Are we the blind man himself before he is healed who is aware that he doesn't see at all? Maybe we believe God is absent or non-existent. Are we the Pharisees refusing to acknowledge Jesus for who he is unless a specific demand or sign is met? Maybe you pray the prayers of God, if you do this, then I will know. Or God, if you just answer this request, then I will believe, bargaining for our faith. We can also be like the Pharisees in refusing to see God for who God is, and instead trying to impose our view of God onto the Messiah, insisting that God fits the interpretation of our tradition, struggling to part with our theological correctness. Or are we Herod, seeing Jesus as a threat to our power or way of life, as a threat to our exclusivity, the gatekeeping we all do? But if I believe in Jesus, then I'll lose these things, or I'll have to change how I live, or I'll have to answer to someone else. Maybe these are thoughts you've had. Or are we the disciples, those who have borne witness to the power, character, and miracles of Jesus, and think we know him, but are actually partially blind, unaware of how present he is in our life. Or maybe we only kind of know him, or maybe we think we know him, but we have it wrong. Regardless of who you most relate to in this story, God is present, and God is inviting you to learn the character of God's self. It may be hard to see the way God is at work in your life, or the moments that are of God's doing. We may have the memory of a hamster and forget God's past faithfulness, 
but God is here. And God is inviting you to see God for who he is, to let go any idea you once had, or to challenge your understanding of him. You are not without God, no matter what you've done or what you think. The Messiah lives in your life. May we all have eyes to see him, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Amen.